Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Christian Olstrup. He is an AI strategist, and he helps business leaders drive innovation and boost staff productivity using AI plus OKRs. Uh, welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you, Stuart. Good to be here. What is the craziest thing that you've learned about AI in the last week? Ooh, in the last week. Um, so, I mean, this is this is extremely unbaked. I don't know if that's that's like appropriate. It's crazy for, wisdom, for this crazy environment. wisdom, crazy wisdom. Yeah, crazy wisdom. I think. Um, so you and I originally connected on Twitter. Uh, now that I feel like many years later, I've started to figure out how to use Twitter in like a, a productive way. Um, I found it to be the source of a lot of good information, and I think uh, there's a there's a train of thought that I'm following at the moment um, that has led me through a friend's recommendation to Michael Levin's work. Are you familiar with Michael Levin? I am not, no. So he's a biologist um, at Tufts, and he has some incredibly interesting ideas. Uh, he, he's a biologist, but he also um, has published on uh, concepts related to artificial intelligence, um, psychology, uh, and, and sort of, you know, a lot of the deeper stuff that I would I would get the sense that uh, you, you would enjoy digging into, right? Making those disparate connections. And one of the things that's caught my attention is the way that he he talks about what folks in the AI community refer to as the alignment problem. So how do we how do we make sure that, you know, I mean, I don't know, you have everything from the Terminator situation to like the paperclip machine to, uh, you know, more more um, subtle ways in which in which our interests and goals could could uh, uh, not be in alignment with whatever AI is and whatever it ends up being. And the, and the way um, Dr. Levin or Professor Levin talks about it um, or alignment in general is from a biologist's through a biologist lens and that the alignment problem, so to speak, like exists at every layer of, mm. of sort of exact reality. It's like it's mm. not a new thing. Um, and there are all these interesting ways in which you know, we're multicellular organisms, we have specialized organs, we have all these pieces and parts that clearly over a very long time came together to, you know, act in in um, in harmony and, and we have limited attention that we can uh, extend towards higher level goals. So clearly something went right, things can go right. How does that work? Mm. And uh, I think he has, he has a lot of interesting ideas about this. Mm. Um, everything from, you know, how to, how, to, uh, how to stress spread throughout a body um, the fact that that seems to be contagious within multicellular organisms. And that, not, only, that is not, only contagious, that? not only contagious within multicellular organisms, but also contagious to other organisms. So if I'm feeling stressed, yes. then someone else feels stress as well. That might've been your point, but if, if, if it was. A hundred percent. And so, yeah, I would say in general, I think looking to other fields and, um, you know, with his work, he's he's been doing, I think, really frontier stuff for a long time. Like I'm very new to it, but it's, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good nose for 
some of these interesting ideas. And I, I think hit what he's been exploring is, um, uh, you know, uh, anybody who's interested in AI alignment worth digging into some more because clearly the alignment problem, so to speak, has has been figured out. Otherwise, nothing would exist uh, elsewhere. So. Yeah, this gets into deep philosophical territory, which I would love to explore with you, which is essentially like alignment in general. I, I can tell from your tweets that I don't sense much fear from you. I fear I sense a lot of excitement. Uh, I'm also yeah. in a similar boat. Yeah. Um, you know, like sometimes I have conversations with people who are really afraid of it and, and that's fine. I, I don't judge anybody for fear. Like I have plenty of fear in my life. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I personally don't, I see such a awesome universe coming down the pipeline. As long as we, as humans, uh, make the right decisions that I feel like we failed to make with web 2.0, uh, mm -hmm. and, and sort of large centralized systems that have a sort of, uh, consumption consumption attack, uh, consumptory yeah. attack, uh, to try to basically consume your attention. And I actually just went yeah. on this retreat this weekend, which I think you'll, you'll, you'll find interesting, which is it was a meditation retreat. It was a silent, well, no, sorry. It was a meditation retreat with no silence. The only silence was disconnecting from the internet and hmm. not, uh, not connecting to the internet, unless we had a clear goal, uh, yeah. go me yeah. and my friend, unless we had a clear goal to go in and then get out. Uh, because the internet is such a distraction me mechanism. And so mm -hmm. basically I didn't, I, it was, it was so brilliant and I still haven't gone into the internet. I still haven't checked Twitter. Primarily mm -hmm. I figured out it's all just the, the social networks. So if I enter one of those social networks, if I enter it with my attention, they will try to capture my attention. And it's all because of the client server relationship. And so going mm -hmm. back to that point of the AI and essentially like uh, the the alignment and all those different things. It's like, if we copy that, then I'm very scared of our future. Uh, uh, and they're mm -hmm. already trying to do that. And and I, I'm, you know, I can be honest. And it's like the 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 playbook for the current LLM operators is to do exactly that. Um, and and so uh, so that's the that's the that's the, the fear that I have surrounding this. Uh, I really like what you said about alignment. How, well, yeah, and just like responding to to what I just said, what is your relationship sure. to effective accelerationism, deceleration? Are you in either camp, or are you more nuanced, or what's your take on that? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a big like uh, formal, um, you know, for, formal uh, uh, membership in a particular group <laughs> guy. Um, I think. I mean, I think uh, I, I'm very interested in all these things, and one of the things that, that can be really great, but also quite uh, dangerous, and that's something we could talk about as well about sort of the internet in general. Even if you have a good goal, um, and there's a lot we could talk about, by the way, with the retreat. Um, there was a uh, so my my last startup I worked on for about two years with my co-founder. We ended up hiring a bunch of therapists, and it was basically for uh, early adolescent, so, um, you know, preteens and teens who had problematic relationships with technology, meeting them where they were in VR, and then over the course of six weeks, helping them rethink exactly to your point about having how to use technology to accelerate towards goals that are actually rooted in reality. So recognizing distractions, recognizing, um, you know, we had, we had a, a, a section called defense against the dark arts, right? It was like, how do you, how do you recognize these things that are distracting that are trying to pull you off of the path that's actually, um, where you, where you should be going, that kind of stuff. I think that's something that, uh, you know, people of all ages, if you're spending any time with it, especially as it becomes more potent, more visceral, more personalized, these are incredibly important, 
skills and, and mindsets to cultivate that I think complement really nicely um, the technology. So all that's to say about your precise question, I think I think that you know you we should accelerate as long as you're headed in the right direction. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's sort of a pretty big pretty big contingency, and then that begs the question, of course, of you know how does one even think about the right direction and right direction, you know, for whom and all that kind of stuff. And we, and we can, we can unpack that. Um, I think my views generally on like risks and downside and what can be done um, around technology and AI in particular are pretty, probably pretty different than a lot of what I've seen on Twitter or heard in general. Um, so I, I definitely think there are things to be concerned about, but the way that I think about it is not in terms of, uh, or at least not primarily in terms of, um, uh, you know, institutional power or, um, uh, I, I don't know, there's, there's sort of a lot we can unpack there. I don't know if you have sort of something specific, yes. I'm happy to go into it, but yeah. 100%. Alignment with what? Nobody answers that question. Alignment yeah. with what? Like, like right. everybody just says alignment. And it's like, yes. we have billions of people on the planet like 60 to 80 percent are sort of like you know normie i don't mean that in a pejorative way it's just like the sure. fact of the matter and then like 20 percent are neurodivergent and then in that neurodivergence there's just like infinite complexity with values and everything like that and it's like totally on, we're at like and this is my fundamental philosophy is that we're headed into it's not my philosophy it's somebody else's philosophy uh which mm -hmm. is that uh, we're headed into an age where we're going to splinter. Consci collective consciousness is going to splinter into multiple different um, lots and lots, the Cambrian explosion, different subgroups uh, that will be highly disconnected from each other. And I think that yeah. it has a lot to do with the, you know, we're, we've been under a media environment, you know, Marshall McLuhan, I think McLuhan, McLuhan is his name, I think, yeah, yeah. talked about, you know, like 1960s, 1970s, television, radio, those were one-to-many broadcasts. And then we got social media, which is one to many, but everybody's the reach is all mm -hmm. going down, except for a few people like mm -hmm. Elon mm -hmm. Musk, who are sort of like internet warlords. And uh, and then um, and then so it's just going to flatten crazy. Uh, and uh, and and in that world, AI plays a very interesting uh, interesting role. Particularly, yeah. and I, I I'm now at the point where I just I I think OpenAI has a moat. I think they're going to continue to be dominant, a business moat. They're going to continue to be mm -hmm. dominant for at least the next five to 10 years. But I, mm -hmm. I don't see a world in which open source AI doesn't take over and doesn't get better. Um, and once open source mm -hmm. goes gets better, then uh, uh, then we're in a position where like nobody can control it. We're already out. We're already past the point at which anybody can control it. Like, uh, so I think yeah. to go back to that question of alignment, it's going to be eat up to each of us and the people that we spend time with uh, to really determine what we, what we want to align with or what how we want to use these 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 AIs in order to align with what we've come into at this nation yeah. level. I don't think the nation state is like I don't think we'll find alignment at the nation state level um, uh, because, in my opinion, the nation state has now is is sort of like descending. It's definitely going to stay powerful. I'm not I'm not you know it's sure and totally. But in terms of relative power, it's sort of going to weaken. And, and as that part of the weakening, they're sensing it. And so they're trying to control. Um, and then from my perspective, I, I just want to end like, I think there are a lot of dangers of where we're headed and a lot of there should be a lot of caution, uh, but more yeah. sort of like a spiritual level and like a, a life level. Sure. Like what are the yeah. decisions that we're going to make in response to this? Mm -hmm. 
it. So that's what I mm-hmm. want to avoid, basically. Um, so that's my general response. What do you What do you think about that? I think there's a lot to unpack. I think um, on the point. So let me let me think about the first point of this like fragmentation that's happening. Um, and uh, 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 there's there's a book that I'll give a huge caveat. There's a lot in this that I just straight up disagree with and and do not personally condone. But there's a lot of good insight as well called the sovereign individual. And one of the concepts that the authors talk about in it, this was like late 90s, um, pretty prescient in terms of thinking about the the effects of this emergent network, right? This information network globally. And they talk about some of the things that you mentioned, like sort of the decline relatively of state power and things like that. I, I would quibble with um, some of those conclusions, but uh, I, I think this idea of narrow casting. So narrow casting is the term that they use is, is super interesting. Um, and I think... There's a there's the way in which like, you know, some writers will talk about this as like, you know, descent into chaos and fragmentation Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. But I I have quite a different perspective. I mean, there may be some of that, but I think um, there's a there's a uh, thinker. I don't know exactly what to call him. He was a Jesuit priest named um, uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Are you familiar with? I am not his No. Okay. So he was uh, early 20th century. He was a paleontologist in China, I think. <laughs> oh, um, but he he tried to, he embarked on this, I think, pretty ambitious project to figure out how to um, resolve, uh, you know, Christianity or aspects of Christian theologies. He saw it and evolution, um, you know, this, anyway, this is an entire project. Again, like a lot with these great thinkers, I think it's, you know, a lot, lot of good things, a lot of things that probably missed the mark quite a bit. But um, one of one of his kind of conclusions that he came to was um, he called this this uh, emerging information space the newosphere. If you've ever heard that term, I have heard that. But I think he had he had some good a good intuition about hey, like the internet is coming. This kind of liquid, invisible information mm. space. Is, is going to be something that is going to emerge in, in sort of the 20th century and now the 21st. Um, and if you follow some of his ideas, it leads to this, this fragmentation. Um, but it also, but fragmentation, and I think a better term would be hyper-individuation, actually has this great benefit, which is it that can then facilitate deeper more meaningful, uh, productive, authentic relationships between people, because through difference, you can actually have a, a much more expansive, much greater whole. And so a lot of his um, his writing examines some of this, this kind of relationships between the parts and the whole, and through hyper-individuation, you have this greater whole. Um, and so my optimistic view on this is like, yes, people will uh, fragment um, there's there's going to be greater diversity in a lot of ways, which I think is a really good thing. Um, and uh, that that doesn't mean that there can't be some common goal uh, that emerges through that process. And so I think I've been tweeting about this and thinking about this a little bit recently. But this this uh, this question of whether or not goals are cast or if they are discovered, mm. I think is, is really is really important. So if if in some sense, you know, it's like we have this uh, global coordination mechanism that's enabled by the internet and all this other technology, public blockchain ledgers, AI, that's kind of built on top of it. 
Um, if we're able to significantly decrease the cost of transmitting information, creating new knowledge, um, you know, collaboration between people who are uh, distant from one another, not just in space, but maybe culture, time, all these other different dimensions you could think of, all of a sudden, if it now becomes much easier for folks to collaborate together, mm-hmm. yes, you're going to have that grouping of stuff that's things get more niche and more esoteric, but it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem unreasonable to me that to think that oh well there's some emergent goal that you know comes from that that everyone everyone ends up working towards just like cells in a body or or something something like that so I have a I have an optimistic take I think this kind of like hyper individuation actually begets um uh you know so, somehow the alignment problem being resolved naturally yeah emergently emergently yeah and yeah yeah this is this is so interesting i want to i want to understand what you mean by casting versus uh finding a goal um yeah but also you just mentioned a good point which is essentially emergence and i've been so uh uh tickled yeah. i've been so tickled by the fact that LLMs are essentially an emergent phenomenon and that mm-hmm. it, it feels like it surprised a lot of people and that, yeah. they, you know, I'm sure you know about black box, whether it's a black box and then also mechanistic interpretability for my listeners, like mm-hmm. AI is, uh, uh, I, I believe it's a black box. I don't believe, I don't believe that the machine learning researchers understand what's going on. Uh, and that's black box, meaning, you know, we don't we don't know all, like what the thing is thinking, basically, at that emergent level. And then mechanistic interpretability. We also don't don't have much mechanistic interpretability in terms of w- what each neuron is doing inside the neural network um, in the same way we don't have mechanistic interpretability of our own brain. And so mm-hmm. this emergence thing is really interesting because it's like the emergence of alignment according to what? And like, do you, well, this is, you know, this is a somewhat personal question, but uh, do you believe in God or, and like, where does, does God fit into this? Sure. It's a great question. Yeah. So I'm, I'm practicing Catholic. Um, the, so I, on the, on this point, let me, let me, let me try, sure, try to take it in, in sort of a practical yeah. direction a little bit, because I think we're, we're getting in a good abstract territory, but I think it's always good to bring it back to earth. Part of the reason why this, this question of goals being, whether they are cast so like, do you just arbitrarily say, okay, we're going in this direction? Mm. And I think by the way, that's implicit to a lot of the thinking around alignment and a lot of the thinking around, um, I don't know. That's, I think that's a, that's a common, that's a common idea. That's sort of postmodern. You just kind of make things up or whatever. Um, there's, there's, I think a different perspective, which is informed by my professional work quite a bit uh, actually, which is that goals are more discovered um, and there's there's actually like a point of contact between them kind of already pre-existing in the world, but people still having to choose to take the step. So it's a bit, you know, how, you know, it's like free will predestination. You, you sort of, you know, fun, fun ways in which you try to resolve that paradox. But it's actually quite a practical problem for me because about half of my work. So I do the AI integrations to make people more efficient. But those are those are always going to be um, more effective if they happen in conjunction with the other half of my work that I do with executive teams, primarily commercial teams, a little bit too, but mostly executives um, around running a very disciplined objective and key results uh, driven process. Um, So you have a cadence, every quarter, you set one goal, you have three ways in which you very precisely measure it. And that becomes the object of attention for the entire organization. And then you have a weekly sync basically where you very efficiently surface information that either has explanatory power in, in terms of 
you know, trying to make sense of whatever you encountered last week that got you closer, moved you away from the goal. Um, and then using everyone's collective kind of imagination to uh, generate hypotheses that you can test in the next week. And you could do that through marketing initiatives. You could do it through quick product prototyping. You could do it through research. Like there are many ways one could tackle this in kind of um, standard standard uh, you know b- business activities. But one of the things that I noticed is very interesting um, around the actual objective setting process in particular is that uh, there. So the workshops I do for setting are always five hours, and I've had them go actually as long as like over eight. Um, and all you get at the end is again, it's one objective and you get three measures of success. And that's it. That's, that is the entire output of the whole thing. And you're like, okay, these, you know, executives times like super expensive, super important. That's like a whole day and a lot of brain power that you're putting into it. But when you run it well, what you find, what you find happens is always fascinating is um, there is just all this information that bubbles up to the surface and the, the group collectively has to make sense of it. Um, and if you have certain conditions uh, around people being well-prepared with certain contextual information, gathering it from the rest of the org, um, there's, there's sort of a lot I could say about how to make this work well, but when you do have the right conditions, there is this very real process by which the objective and the key results are discovered. Like whatever people thought they were going to have going into it, is almost never what it is coming out if you do it right. And there's, you know, discourse, there's revelation of certain information that other people didn't have. You have fundamentally different values and personalities and perspectives. And like at the end of the day, the CEO is is deciding, okay, like these are sort of the final uh, measures and targets and all that kind of stuff. But there's this very important process by which the correct goals are, I can only describe it as, as like a discovery. It's like this emergent, uh, you know, collective intelligence thing that happens. Um, and so just seeing that having happened, uh, you know, many, many times, um, makes me, makes me think that the nature of good goals is that they are, they kind of already exist and they need to be found based upon, you know, uh, a, a lot, a lot that we could talk about there. But, um, I think, uh, I think that's, that's just, some, something to think about in the context of this, you know, global alignment problem, so to speak. So you're a Platonist. <laughs> I don't I know. I wouldn't say I'm a Platonist, but uh, I, I, I maybe in some ways. So wait, like um, an, uh, I'm going to explain sure. it for my audience. Uh, so sure, Platonist sure. believes in the in a theory of forms. And so you have these forms that are uh, exist outside of our physical universe, inside of our abstract world, and that they're that they're sort of formed as an existence so that the chair itself. The, the chair descends yeah. from the idea of the chair and so that it's all about discovering the essence of the chair uh, and that it exists in that abstract world, which ties into the Stephen Wolfram idea of the Rulliad yep. space and yep. everything like yep. that, yep. which we can get into. Uh, but but yep. yeah, I would love to hear what you think about being labeled a, a Platonist. I, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, I think that one thing that is just deeply interesting to me is the fact that these large language models work at all. And the fact that neural networks seem to work at all does seem to point to there being some kind of fundamental mathematical, or in the case of Wolfram, Wolfram, like, you know, self-referential, like computational structures that are kind of pre-existing in like a metaphysical sense. 
Um, and that, uh, you know, everything is, is contingent upon the relationships between those things. I think the fact that LLMs work um, would, would seem to indicate that there are these, uh, you know, relationships and they can be modeled just through the way the models are trained, which is, you know, they're, they're autoregressive, right? Like there's, it's just to predict the next word. Um, so, I mean, I, the fact that that works seems to indicate to me that there's, there's something maybe more metaphysical go, going on. Um, Interesting. so I guess that's as far as I would push it. Yeah. And it goes, it goes into language and I'm sure like the Noam Chomsky interpretation of language, which I forget, but it reminds me of that, uh, of his linguistic theories, but I'm, I can't go any further into how they, how they, uh, remind me of it. Cause I don't remember. Well, that gets into interesting territory as well is about memory. Uh, what, what, what is your take on memory either right now in terms of the AI human memory, um, uh, digital note taking? Uh, I know that I've been seeing you do stuff that other people have not, I haven't been seeing anybody else kind of do what you've been doing, um, in terms of the way that you leverage the AI. Uh, so I'm curious to think about like either giving the AI memory or how you yeah. view it at that sort of long-term frame of like what's going on in terms of uh of our own human memory in relationship to the air sure. well i can share practically uh you know one some of the ways in which i use ai that have to do with a lot of it's like offloading memory um using ai or computers as a kind of exocortex that's like a, a term that i really like um uh so so one one of the one of the intuitions that i had pretty early on in the generative AI boom. So I, I would say over, over a year ago, certainly at this point, um, was that you should record everything, basically. Obviously, you know, with consent, uh, you know, be, you have to, this is, again, a lot of caveats on this, but yes. like, if you yep. can do it, you think it through, um, you, should, you should develop like a digital repository of uh, proprietary information that is high quality, um, you know, it can be made useful. Uh, it's good. Um, and that is, that then becomes raw material that you can use as an asset in conjunction with AI. So sort of way to think about this is like, everyone's been saying data is the new oil, right? And, and, uh, it, it turns out in, in some ways that's, that's kind of turned out to be true, but we just didn't have the refinery technology to deal with, um, lots of it up until very recently. Right. And so, you know, most uh, most data, uh, what can be digitized does not exist as um, rows in a relational database. It's unstructured text, you know, sequences of images, audio waveforms. And now that those have been made legible, essentially to machines, you can you can put it to work for different purposes. And so. In terms of uh, uh, memory for me, I mean, like a very simple thing, I'll give you, I'll give you a good example of this. I had one client who I did uh, this OKR process with, and you have at the beginning of the quarter, you have the objective setting. At the end, you have the um, reflection where you really try to make sense of everything. Okay, what did we learn both from mining insights, but also process improvement perspective? And that gets encoded into, you know, sort of like the compendium of the organization. You can shape culture. You can do all these things. But that is contingent upon having, you know, uh, the facts, right? Like, mm. uh, if you don't, if you don't have the good facts in the fact table, whatever derivative analysis you're going to do is is just going to be 
uh, incomplete at best. And so one thing that I noticed um, that was very interesting dur during this reflection was one of the conversations, like it started to kind of go one way in terms of like, um, how do I put this? I, I felt like certain assertions were being made that did not totally jive with what I had remembered about the reason for certain goals and decisions and whatnot having been made. So in real time, what I did as this discussion was happening was I, I had all the transcripts available because I had, you know, I always have Otter at my meetings and everything else. And I popped a bunch of the relevant ones, including the very first goal setting one into Claude while everyone's talking. I then copied and pasted the live transcript about what we had, dis what was being discussed right then into Claude and then typed into it quickly wait, or dictated. Wait, wait. Myself on yeah. So live transcript, I want to hear what you're about to say, but also like, what do you mean by live transcript? You Otter can give you a live transcript as it's going. Yes. As recording. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Continue on. Uh, which has been a totally critical feature for me because then you can you can use you can bring the benefits of AI into real time basically. Yes, interesting. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So anyway, I pop that all in and I asked some questions about you know why was this goal set or whatever it was, and then said here's the context of what we're discussing now. Here's everything else like make sense of it, and it it came up with basically oh so and so this because of this because of this, and that was like wrote sort of memory retrieval. And I said, hey, everyone, I just, I want you to take a look at this quickly. I think we need a level set, did a little screen share. Everyone quickly looks at the summary and you go, oh. And that kind of neutralized this not so productive direction that the conversation was going in because all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, those are the, that's right. Those are the facts. Like we're, all, we're now back on the same page. It's now, we can now kind of like come back to a more grounded perspective, which is going to be more useful in doing the reflection. Now, where things got really interesting on top of that was um, because it turned out like one of the goals maybe wasn't the right thing to set. And so we're, we're sort of trying to make sense of that. Um, and then what I said was, okay, to Claude, like given what we know now about X, Y, Z, what may have been, so asking it to do a counterfactual, right? What may have been a better goal? And that's where I think things get very interesting is you start going from just memory and information retrieval, which is important. It's useful, um, just like I described, but you start sprinkling a little bit of reasoning on top. And that's where things get very, very interesting. And it gave up with, with you know, came up with some good um, uh, suggestions, including why that were then incorporated into the subsequent discussion. Okay, great. So, so we, yeah, we have a yeah. lot to talk about here. Uh, the There's... So I want to uh, uh, let the audience know that before we recorded, you gave me a spreadsheet of questions to ask you and questions to ask me uh, for you yeah. to ask me. Uh, and all of these questions were based off of my podcast and my Twitter free feed and your Twitter feed and all these different things. And so yes. uh, and one of those questions had to do with misinformation. I won't go into the actual details about the misinformation, but I love thinking about misinformation from the aspect of of uh, of of A.I., uh, and yeah. what you yeah. said there is that you, there was misinformation inside the conversation and misinformation from my perspective is just like a, a perennial problem that will never go away. Uh, maybe with the AI, maybe we can, maybe we can challenge that assumption. Maybe with the AI it yeah. could actually go away. Uh, but actually I think that misinformation all depends on the observer, uh, what they view as misinformation. There are facts. I'm not saying there are no objective facts. China, sure. uh, China exists in Asia. That's a fact. Um, sure. uh, you know, um, uh, North America is in the Northern hemisphere, but all those facts 
depend on the relative place of myself on this globe and where the universe is. Um, and so like, there's a lot of assumptions embedded, but the, the main point is that misinformation is always there. Uh, what you said about, it sounds like what you're doing is this sort of attention focusing mechanism for people inside of organizations that focuses yep. them on the present moment, focuses on the past. Would you say that yep. you do knowledge management? Do you think that that's like a role that you're, you're doing? It's an interesting question. I've never thought about that before. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that's that's certainly a big part of it. I think um, I think that there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. I think on the misinformation point, there it's it's important to tease apart there being like uh, for, there's like forgetting facts, yep. so things start to get a little fuzzy. Um, there are very differing perspectives where the way I think about this is people have access maybe to the same facts and, you know, it's like up to a certain point because there's, there's a uh, limitations on human, human memory and cognition. Yes. Right. Or as, or as, you know, uh, Stephen Wolfram would say, yeah, we're, we're exactly, computationally yeah. bounded observers, right? So it's there, we are, we are limited in what we can sort of process past, present, future, whatever else. And that's fine. Um, uh, and, and, and so you can have situations in which two people are looking at the same thing. And I would think of it more as like an indexing function. So the way in which you index those facts gives it a certain shape, just like if you're looking at the same stars in the sky, you can have different constellations or whatever. And that's going to be a function of whatever other context that you don't even remember it's embedded into your body and blah, 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 blah. Right. There's, there's a lot you can say there and that can cause conflict. Um, then there's like, there's like straight up you know, disinformation, which that's that I would want to put that in a different category. So yeah, that's like 100%. Uh, either there's there's, uh, you know, BSing, which hallucination is essentially that that's its own problem. But then there's like active deception, which is somebody knows something's the case, but they want to poison the fact table with stuff to take you off the, uh, you know, sort of off the right path. OK, those are all kind of different things. Now, I think in the case of this um, lack of understanding, there's, there's a way in which AI can, I think, extend the size of the fact table, just like I described. So it, it, it ends up acting like a memory extender. And this is, again, the exocortex idea, which I think is, I think is quite good. I think it's useful. Um, you, know, you, have, you have tools that can allow you to access more facts in the fact table. They can allow you to more reliably index them in a way that can help resolve some of those conflicts, I think, between... Uh, those those different personal perspectives, um, and uh, and and so in that way it can be it can be fantastic. Now at the same time, and you know um, could could be used for disinformation. Uh, you can create indices, so to speak, of the facts, and I think you see a lot of this happen online, where it appeals to some kind of uh, malign psychological you know characteristic that somebody mm -hmm. has. A lot of the conspiracy you know conspiracy theory stuff. A lot of, um, you know, the hypercasting niches that people fall into online, which are like clearly like bad, <laughs> like, you know, that that's 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 a lot of what's going on. Is it done on purpose? Is it emergent? You know, it's a little bit of both. Um, and so AI could could accelerate that in, in some ways. But I think my sense is ultimately as more things are digitized, because the private benefits of doing this will just be so tremendous that there will exist more facts in the fact table that you can ultimately go back and re and revisit and make sense of. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of the second, third 
or consequences of that. I mean, I think things, things get quite, quite strange. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a good book or a good short story by Ted Chang about this, where it's like, everything is recorded. And so what does that mean for you personally? You kind of misremembered something, you know, how do you make sense of it? Effects on relationships, things like that. But if you look at like ambient computing devices, the humane pin, um, you know, tab, uh, uh, what's the other one, the rewind pendant, like clearly the, the complement to commoditized intelligence, memory, cognition, whatever else is high quality proprietary data. And as that relationship just gets stronger and stronger, everyone is just going to record everything. I think starting with a professional context, maybe moving into personal and, um, and I think I think on net it'll be quite a good thing and and overall um, help people fight disinformation. That's that's my feeling. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, so I believe there is an assumption in what you just said um, that is essentially dependent on non centralization of data, uh, because I believe from my ideological perspective that the centralization sure. of data will create malincentives to um uh to mine uh things in a way that's productive towards a towards a certain comp uh a corporation in order to uh uh in order to to grow at all costs and and continue that thing and so um yeah as disinformation is so interesting in the context of ai because mm -hmm. i don't know what you think about this my my theory is that whoever controls the ai controls history because AI is sure. essentially a lossless compressed internet. So when you go on ChatGPT, you're interacting with the entire internet uh, pre 2000, whatever, when, whenever they last trained it, and also with RAG going into the current sure. internet. And so there's two sources of disinformation already. The actual internet itself is littered with disinformation and misinformation. Then, oh. then there's also the people who control the LLMs and the people who train the LLMs, and they are motivated. I don't, I don't think they're necessarily doing disinformation, uh, but mm -hmm. I do, I do believe there is a lot of misinformation going on right now, all under the 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 guise of essentially we've got to keep things safe. Uh, and so, who do we trust? Well, we chose trust the nation state. The nation state's the most trusted sovereign. So, so we will essentially uh, take what the nation states and then apply. And also there's the, the there's the other uh, thread, which is essentially regula regulation, regulatory capture. And will these people be regulated uh, by the government? Sure. And if they're regulated by the government, the government's going to uh, say some things about what exactly they want to regulate. Um, and so uh, I'd love to hear you. Feel free to um, debate any of those assumptions or ask questions or anything yeah. like that. But yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I, I think it's a good question. I mean, in terms of concretely what's going on, I think a lot of this stuff is above my pay grade. I think I will say, I will say in general, it's like my perspective is things we, we want all of these different institutions of different scope of different, you know, placement in this kind of first, second, third order sovereignty. Like you can, the way you think about all these things, we ultimately want them working well together. Like they all, they all serve different purposes. Um, they provide in the case of like states and uh, some corporations like, you know, uh, they provide different types of public goods. Um, you know, there, there's a there's, I think, a very interesting role for technology to play in all this. That's somewhat strangely like different, like is, you know, is is Bitcoin a public good? You know, what what it, what even is it? Right. Like, is that 
you know, what, how does, how does cryptocurrency and, or um, public block, you know, blockchain ledgers, how does, how does that factor in all of this? So all that is to say is I, I think it's very complex. Um, I think it's, it's very hard for me to have a really um, strong perspective on what is to be done at like the institutional level. Um, however, in general, uh, I do think that we will all be better off the more um, individual freedom people have uh, to operate. And a lot of that in this paradigm and sort of the AI paradigm um, is, is a function of whether or not they have control of their data, their digital memories, and to the point about AI, how those how that information even being presented back to them is sorted, indexed, synthesized, right? And so it's like, okay, do you have open source large language models and whatever other architectural components come to exist running on your local Mac machine or something like that, yeah, let's get where that. it only has, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think I think something like that will exist. Um, I, I also I don't have any reason to believe that there won't be some you know relatively centralized institutions. Uh, you know, that it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they continue to maintain like a, a lead when it comes to the creation of some of the foundation models. Now, does that mean then there's some kind of ecosystem where there's like the local stuff and there's the big stuff? And, you know, depending on the, the uh, uh, political and cultural environment you find yourself in, the relationship between those two things, like, you know, how big is the gap between your private data and what's in the public sphere? How does your LLM, you know, interface with, uh, the foundation model LLMs, who who gets to keep and retrain the data, like those are all those are all I think really important questions. Um, uh, and and I think there's a role for for all of a positive role that all these different institutions can can play. And uh, you know, in in general, I think same way. You know, First Amendment has has been quite quite good for us. Um, mm -hmm. But I think humanity as a whole. Uh, having having you know protecting individual rights when it comes to uh, compute um, is is something uh, uh, you know so, something that I'm a fan of. Okay, brilliant. I would love to go into the local machines because I had the great uh, opportunity to download Mistral on my computer yeah. uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, and I turned yeah. it on. And uh, I get it. Uh, there's this awesome app that allows you to interact with all the different models. Let me see if LM Studio. So it's called LM Studio, and um, mm -hmm. and that you can go get all the down the the open source ones and put put them right into your local machine. And I turned it on, and I have. Let me check my 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 Mac here. So I have a um, I have a Apple M2 uh, with eight gigabytes of memory. Um, and uh, so that for my listeners, the M2 chip is essentially the uh, uh, Apple's take on a fully integrated uh, uh, GPU uh, thing that can run machine learning. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not totally sure on all that stuff. Uh, and then NVIDIA has their own chips. And then uh, AMD, I believe, is coming out with another another AI chip as well, machine learning chip. Yep. And so um, so I downloaded it and uh, it interacted almost exactly like ChatGPT, except it slowed my computer down to a crawl. Uh, and it couldn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even close the, I couldn't even yeah. close, close the application uh, to force quit. Yep. Um, and uh, so my friend who just joined me down here in Buenos Aires, a longtime friend who's a computer programmer in 3D programming, uh, got the M3 chip and he's a programmer. And so he, we tried uh, downloading the Mistral MOE model, the model of experts. Interesting. And, yeah. And for my listeners who don't know, a model of experts is, essentially a 
uh, a way, a, a new way of doing LLMs, which essentially brings seven different expert models all to process, to compete, to process the next token, um, and, uh, and create and, uh, and do it. And it's very effective. Tried downloading it. Uh, apparently he didn't have enough memory in his to yeah. run the MOE. Uh, so beautiful thing, but you know, a year from now, two years from now, Apple's going to get their supply chain in order. They're going to have brilliant chips with Moore's law, the same thing coming out on all these different computers. I don't see a world in which we aren't walking around with local models, like using it on the cloud, although still important. Um, and to, as you said, those foundational models like ChatGPT will usually, OpenAI will will be ahead at least for a long time if you go for it. Yeah. So, so I maybe, uh-huh. maybe mm. I I think that just like you highlighted, the bottleneck is compute, and it also it also will be at some point energy production. Which is why, you know, Sam has sort of this master plan around investing in fusion and all these sorts of things, right? Oh, interesting. Um, and I think what you highlighted is is like in practice and like not to, I mean, I don't, I don't want to rain on the creative of sort of the open source folks. I, I love that. And I think there are many things that are, are good about it. Even just through intrinsic motivation, tinkering with this stuff, I'm a huge fan. Like, I, I think we need more of that. It's a great mindset. It's a very sort of like deeply American thing. Even people are outside of the U.S. Like I like that. I like that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of um, tinkering, tinkering hacker mindset, right? However, like speaking as somebody who uh, has generated all basically all of his income, no, all of his income as an independent consultant over the past year, and about fifty percent of it coming from explicitly AI integrations into businesses. There is not a single time where I have gone, yes, let's let's go with the open source tool. It's it's always, okay, we're going to use the most cutting edge frontier model for anything that I've been paid to do, build, integrate, train people on how to use. It's just what are the capabilities? You look at the drawbacks, like there's certainly concerns around like data retention, privacy, all these sorts of things. But if you look at what Azure is doing, if you look at like ChatGPT Enterprise, like all these these sorts of things, like the frontier model providers are, you know, uh, increasingly able to, I think, assuage a lot of those concerns. And the capabilities are tremendous. And the fixed costs, like you said, are, are quite high um, to, to maintaining any of this stuff yourself. So if you're kind of split, it's like, okay, we're at a fork in the road. And it's like, well, we could go with the open source stuff. But that's being like, first of all, it's changing very quickly. So once you've kind of locked yourself into a particular architecture, you know, that that could end up becoming a hindrance very soon. Um, or two, you can just like offload lots of that to the API endpoint. Mm-hmm. You can make a switch from, you know, GPT 3.5 turbo to GPT 4 turbo, right? By sort of changing the you know, changing the uh, 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 model parameter and maybe even deleting a bunch of your code because like this is something um, I used to drive me nuts is I'd have to like chunk all the text in order to process huge amounts of raw material. And now because you have the 100,000 token context window from Turbo and 200 from Claude, like now that limiting factor has been removed and, you know, all the engineering work that you would have had to do to, you know, make that make sense, like address the same use case for something that's open source. You've just invested a huge amount of engineering time, labor, whatever, into all these these little optimizations. 
where what you built was just totally commoditized by the next release from the foundation labs. So all that is to say in practice, I've, I've never recommended and have never practically used or been paid to do anything with an open source model. 100% and beautiful points. Uh, uh, I agree with a lot of them, uh, but I would add, add for now. Uh, uh, so, so, you know, the future is open, uh, from my perspective. Uh, and if we look at the evolution of open source and other sorts of computing, uh, we do see a, a pattern emerging, which open source competitor for a lot of different products do start to compete in the competitive market, uh, with closed source things. There's a bunch of examples and you're making me really want to go somebody go interview somebody who's an expert in open source. So I can really dive into that into that specific thing but my belief maybe ideological maybe blinded uh is that uh the emergent goal setting thing that we've been discussing is going to lead to a superior product over over long periods of time um sure. and and uh and so that's that's my take that yes absolutely 100% right but when mistral starts you know like having models come out instead of six months after chat GPT four comes out, they release it three months after come after it, two months, one month. And now then we also have to take into account the crazy thing that happened with open AI like a month ago, which is that, mm -hmm. uh, that due to a internal dispute, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that spilled out in this really gnarly way, a lot yeah. of people are starting to think about, well, how much am I going to depend on this on this this central point of failure uh, for sure. my thing? And and it, like definitely got me thinking. Got Andrej Andrej Karpathy thinking. You know, he tweeted like um, that. You know, a lot of people are thinking about decentralization right now. Uh, so this the it's like it's a matter of time for me. Uh, and and I may be yeah. very wrong, but 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 that's but that's my belief. No, I, I think you're I think you're probably onto something. And I think just for me. Uh, it's, I, I can't like in good faith, make any concrete predictions around like when or how something like that might pan out just because it's so complex. And so we're on such new territory. It's yes. very hard, if not impossible to know, um, or to even make, I think predictions about it. I mean, there is, there's sort of this practical technical question of, okay, when are we finally going to hit the top of the S curve around this stuff? Um, you know, the, mm -hmm. I, I I'm I'm sort of I'm like deeply skeptical of you know the client this kind of utopian claims around singularity stuff oh it just yes, goes exponentially yes. you know forever um, my my guess is when it comes to artificial whatever you want to call it like computation in this kind of silicon substrate or whatever there there's there's probably some limit uh, I don't know I mean people who, who are I respect who are more well versed around like the um, you know, the actual chip manufacturing technology seem to think that like we're running up into limits in like physics as far as like how, how small the, uh, or how many transistors you can pack onto a single chip and things like that. So there, there will be limits that we'll run into and I'm sure we'll, we'll find interesting ways to innovate and keep going. But, um, just because everything that starts as an exponential usually ends up looking like a sigmoid, um, my guess is there will be some point at which it peters out and that gap between, you know, the frontier models and, uh, uh, you know, what's, what's possible in open source will catch up. But I, if somebody was like, yep, it took, you know, 200 years for that to happen, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. And then if some, and then if they told me, Oh, it took 18 months from now, I'd also not be surprised. Be surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, 
I think it's, I think you make a, I think you make a good point. The, the other thing I think that's very interesting about this is um, I saw, I think it was a tweet from the, I don't know what his title is. He's, he's uh, either runs Bing or he's like the director of Bing or, or something like that at Microsoft. And um, he tweeted something like, I think 80% of people who use Bing like prefer the GPT-3 version oh. or it was some, some number that was way higher than what I would have expected. Um, because for me, it's like, I, if I had to use, I mean, the fact that I only pay 20 bucks a month for GPT-4 or for plus is I, it feels like a crazy steal. I mean, I would pay hundreds of dollars a month. Like there's literally work that I could not do when it, you know, especially when it comes to coding and things like that, where I, you know, if I did not have access to something with these capabilities. Um, and so I think, uh, I think what that, what that means is like, clearly that's good enough for a lot of the tasks that the people are trying to complete. Um, and so when it comes to the super, super, super capable systems, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the level of need, uh, there's going to be a very small number of people who have ideas that are, you know, ambitious and tremendous enough that it makes sense to allocate that kind of compute towards pursuing them. Um, Ooh, oh, interesting. Yeah. There, there's a, there is a, a direct, uh, storyline from a book called the culture, or it's a book series called the culture. I can't remember by Ian Banks, uh, yeah. uh that talked directly about that, that talked, talked about it cause it's all about AI and it's, uh, and uh, it's all about AIs running society in conjunction with human beings, but the human beings hmm. individually are are essentially way, way out of their depths, except for yeah. random geniuses. So like, except for the one out of a trillion, who's this random genius who sure. somehow has this compute power. Uh, and so they prioritize the the AI to, 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 to make sure that the AI is talking to those people. And, uh, and, and uh, so fascinating. Uh, we're, we're running out of time, but this has been a great conversation. I would love to do another one on the singularity, why sure. you're skeptical on the singularity. I'll go do some research on open source and such as well. But uh, this was a, a great interview. Uh, how can people find out more about uh, what you're working on? And if they're interested in becoming a customer, how can they find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I basically have two um, two digital footprints online. Uh, one, is, one is on Twitter where we connected, where I kind of treat that more like a journal um, it's like, you know, kind of weird, like esoteric stuff, um, which, which is, is fun. Uh, and then, um, uh, LinkedIn is, is where I'm the most active professionally. So if you go to Christian um, that'll redirect my LinkedIn page. Um, you know, you can sign up for, I have a, uh, uh, basically a, uh, AI as electricity email course that I launched pretty recently. Um, so definitely if you have any interest in practically, okay, how do I actually get the most out of this? How do I get my organization to be significantly more productive? Would definitely um, recommend signing up for that. I've packed about a year's worth of insights uh, working with um, uh, over 20 clients, um, you know, on explicit AI integration. So that has a lot of my learnings that you can use. So connect with me on LinkedIn. That's kind of a, you know, where I'm more professional and then sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, more more out there takes if, if you enjoy that stuff. I'm on Twitter as curious underscore VII. So curious V. Um, but yeah, so LinkedIn, Twitter, um, you know, shoot me a message. And uh, if you'd like to work together, yeah, sign up for the course, see if you like it. And uh, at the end of it, just um, uh, uh, either shoot me an email or sign up for a free consult and be happy to chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.